Welcome to this edition of DBSA's Real Recovery Podcast. For more information, visit us on our website, www.dbsalliance.org. We've been there. We can help. Today's DBSA's Real Recovery Podcast features noted scholar and writer Andrew Solomon, author of the award-winning book, The Noonday Demon, An Atlas of Depression. Welcome, Andrew. We're so pleased to have you as our guest today. I'm thrilled to be here. Wow. I was just wondering if you could start with us um, by, start us out a little bit by telling us a little bit more about yourself and really what prompted you to write the book, The Noonday Demon. I went through a very bad depression of my own, and when I was emerging from it, I tried to read everything there was available on the subject of depression. And what I found was that there were very good personal histories, and there were medical books, and there were philosophy books, and there were all kinds of other books which dealt with this subject, but most of them dealt with it in ways that seemed to me um, uh, limited and specific. And what I wanted was to try to find something that brought everything together. And so I wrote the book really because I wanted to create a kind of unified field theory. I wanted to bring together all of these different ways of looking at depression and try to come up with some kind of amalgamated reality. I noticed you draw a lot on your own personal experience and anecdotes. Um, Was that a conscious decision, and do you think that that really was the best way for you to be able to, or played an integral part in you being able to share and pull all of those facets together? The basis of my expertise in this area is having been depressed myself. That was my original learning experience. And so I felt that in order to write honestly and openly about it, I had to draw from my own experience. Uh, That was the only way that I could really begin to convey my process in coming to understand depression. Um, But I also feel as though part of the experience of depression is the experience of loneliness, and that every time somebody speaks or writes about their depression in an open and honest way, it allows other people who come to read or receive that information to feel a little bit less isolated and a little bit less alone. So I was writing really about my own experience for two reasons. The first was to make other people understand what it was that they themselves were going through by giving them a little bit of a vocabulary in which to talk about it. And the second was to uh, was to sort of establish my credentials as someone who had the right to be talking about this and the insight that was necessary to work in this field. Did you find the process of writing the book itself help you in your own recovery? People always ask me that question. It was not cathartic to write the book. People often say, did it make you feel better to write about these things? And the answer is no. Actually, dredging through my own miserable experience was miserable and difficult, and I didn't particularly like doing it. But the writing of the book was redemptive, really, in two ways. One of which is that it took a period of my life that had felt barren and hollow and useless and allowed me to see it instead as the basis for something that was positive and constructive. So it sort of redeemed that aspect of my life. And the other thing is that I think in combating depression or any mental illness, or indeed any other illness, knowledge is really power. And that the experience of writing the book was an experience of coming to terms with um, all of the learning there is out there about depression. And I felt like assembling all of that knowledge and organizing all of that knowledge made me feel more powerful as I confronted the ongoing issue of my own depression. You became more educated in your own recovery, in a sense. Um, 
and, but you talk a lot about the personal perspective, but you also address a lot of the cultural and scientific aspects of depression in the book. And I know that you had done a lot of research when you were writing this book. Was there anything that you learned yourself while you were writing the book that really surprised you? I learned so much while I was writing the book, but the things that I would say stand out particularly are, first of all, that depression is not a modern Western middle-class illness. It's something that has existed across cultures. It's something that was described 2,500 years ago by Hippocrates using almost the same vocabulary that gets used in modern psychiatric texts. Um, and it's certainly something that exists across the class spectrum and that afflicts um, uh, people who are living in poverty as well as people who are living better. So it was interesting to me to break down that conception, which I think is the popular conception of depression. Then also, it was uh, interesting for me to examine the relationship between mood and personality. Because what I found as I did my research was that there were some people who had what sounded when they talked about it, like really very mild depression, who were nonetheless able to function extremely well in the interstices between their depressive episodes. And I met other people who had what sounded, when they described it, like much more mild depression, who were nonetheless completely by it. And so I became interested in why some people can cope with depression better than others, and what is a more severe illness, and what is the personality that allows someone to handle that illness, and how do those two things balance each other. Um, and it was surprising and interesting to me to see that the severity of the illness and the capacity for recovery were not correlated in any very straightforward way. Did you gain any conclusions further than that observation? Ultimately, I think that people who are able to discover some meaning in their experience of depression, even if the meaning they discover is fictive, are better able to handle it than people who say it was a completely terrible experience and try to cut themselves off from it. The process of looking for meaning, I think, is very useful. Um, but I also think that depression can hit anyone, and it can hit people who are essentially people whose background or whose upbringing or whose um, a genetic cast of uh, personality uh, is to be inclined to fight. And it can hit people who, for any of many different reasons, find it more difficult to fight. And who you are will determine your ability to, to handle the illness. I also found, for instance, that people who have good support systems, certainly a support system won't cure your depression. It won't make the depression go away. But if you have a good support system, you're more likely to be able to handle the depression and get past it. I found people who have more education usually do a better job of getting good quality medical care and that that makes an enormous difference. Um, but I also found it had to do just with sort of basic underlying energy levels. Um, and it had to do additionally with the relationship between depression and anxiety because I think the anxiety can be so unbelievably paralyzing and that people with depression who are slightly less anxious are frequently better able to pull themselves through the depression than people who are constantly in that state of feeling like they're going to explode. So the co-occurring illness of an anxiety together with biological, environmental, emotional, and societal factors are all things that you feel have a, that whole mix kind of plays into how well and how severe one might be able to, uh, how severe one might be affected by and or how well one might be able to cope with depression as an illness. Yes. Okay. Um, and I think that that's, I mean, you've, you, the, 
the essence of the question is, how severe is the illness and how well can you cope with the illness? Mm -hmm. And I felt when I went to write this book that I could not write a book that would make people have less severe depression. Um, how severe your depression is will have nothing to do with your knowledge. But I might be able to write a book that contained information about how to cope with depression a little bit better. And so my attempt was not to lower the level of depression itself, but to lower, to some extent, the, the threshold of difficulty for coping with an existing depressive episode. That's real interesting. What do you, what do you personally think um, in terms of some of the, your greatest challenges as far as you face living with depression? You know, people often say to me, oh, you know, you had this depression, and they put it very conveniently in the past tense. And I have to come back to them and say, no, no, it's not that I had depression. I have depression. It's an illness for which we have many treatments but no cure. Mm -hmm. And so dealing with the depression on a day-to-day -day basis is a part of my life. I have been fortunate to be doing reasonably well for the last few years. And I attribute that in part to medication. I attribute it in part to the knowledge that I gained in the process of writing the book. I attribute it in part to good therapy and in part to having learned a lot about how to regulate and order my own life in ways that are relatively protective against serious depressive episodes. I was just going to ask if you were able to share any of those um, kind of strategies you do from a day-to-day -day basis to kind of help you, that keep you personally, it may not be appropriate for everyone, but personally keep you um, in, in more of a, a sense of uh, in a balanced in a place of recovery. Absolutely. I think the first thing is to attend to the physical strictures of daily life in a positive way. So I make sure that I get enough sleep every night. I think under sleep is one of the primary reasons for the epidemic levels of depression in our society. I make sure that I eat on a regular basis. I try to avoid um, excessive alcohol or caffeine. Um, the caffeine, I think, contributes to anxiety and the alcohol, obviously, to depression. I basically hate exercise, but I try to exercise every day because there is so much evidence which shows that regular exercise helps with the regulation of brain neurochemistry. So those are the most concrete and specific things. And then also, when I find myself getting terribly stressed and overwhelmed by something, I really try to pull back and think, is there a way that I can separate myself from this? Is there a way that I can avoid being overwhelmed? If I begin to feel really terrible, I go immediately to see my psychopharmacologist and say, do you think we need to rebalance things a little bit? Um, I'm on an effective combination of five medications that works very well, but I'm constantly tinkering with it and adjusting it in minor ways as I go along. So those are some of the most concrete things. So some of those are being very proactive, obviously, and taking control of your own strategies and personal wellness and recovery plan. I found it interesting in terms of, you know, how you're, how you're managing your illness and, um, as you said, you know, not to deny it, not to put it in the past and being able to kind of come to terms with it yourself. Um, when you were in the process of doing that and having this perspective on some of the situations and episodes that you may have had, have you discovered any advantages to the illness at all that might have been brought to your life? I'm a great believer in the idea that difficulty is enriching and rewarding. I think the 
that there are many ways to find difficulty. I don't think that one has to find difficulty in the struggle with depression. But I think that having been depressed, I am more aware of every day when I'm not depressed as an amazing blessing and more deeply appreciative of the ordinary stuff of daily life. I think, I think that I'm more empathetic. I think I'm probably kinder. I think I can understand how the strange functionings of biochemistry lead people to behave in destructive or negative or damaging or even evil ways. I think that I'm much more open to how overpowering and profound emotion itself can be, and that as a result of that, I probably not only have despaired more than most people, I think I've also achieved a greater level of love than I would otherwise have been able to achieve. Now, could all of these things have happened through some other experience of difficulty? Probably. It's not that this had to be the one and only way. But I do think that having gone through these particular experiences has enriched my life enormously. I think we all come to grips with you know, our humanness in terms of as we go through the illness and the ebbs and flows of the illness and how we deal with it and you know, being more in contact with what it is true to be human sometimes. So. I think that's really true. I think that's very nicely said. And I think, you know, it's not that I'm saying depressions are so great everyone should go and have one. Um, it's just that I'm saying if you have one, there's an awful lot of strength and power that can be found in it. And if you can find that strength and power in it, it'll give you a much better, richer life than if you can't. So trying to be open to that. Um, mm -hmm. Not necessarily when you're at the very lowest pitch, when you can't see any good in it, but at least when you come out, don't cut yourself off from the experience. Mm -hmm. Look back into it and see if you can find some something positive and strong in it. I, I have, and I feel like it's been an incredible blessing. That is truly something for each of us to consider. I wanted to kind of change the topic a little bit here and talk about um, readdress this issue in terms of you sharing so much of your personal stories within the book, The Noonday Demon. Um, it has, the book has gotten a lot of uh, notoriety and has been very successful, um, but it certainly has brought you out of the mental health closet, so to speak, in a grand fashion. Um, do you feel like the publication of your book and its success has changed how people perceive you in the context of both those who knew you that knew you had experienced depression before and those who had no idea? That's an extremely interesting question. I am amazed by how many people read the book and continue not genuinely to associate me with the experiences described in it. Um, and people who sort of think, oh, you have this exciting, fun, glamorous life and you've become this well-known author on the basis of your writing and don't recognize that all of that anguish was the necessary precursor to those developments. Um, I find that lots of people read the book and think that they know me incredibly well. The people who did know me incredibly well learned more from reading the book, but sometimes the people who read the book don't realize that it describes some of my experiences, but not all of who I am. Mm -hmm. So I find that it, it provokes a kind of, sometimes a false intimacy. Um, but I've also found that having published all of these things and having taken this stand, my openness has allowed so many other people to open up to me, people who write to me, people who I meet at readings or at lectures, and that's been a very rewarding experience.
experience for me, having people sort of reach across this gap and say, oh my God, I have felt these things. I didn't know anyone else had ever felt these ways. And then I read your book and you felt these ways too. Um, it became a very intimate, sometimes an overwhelmingly intimate experience of connection with the vast, vast, vast body of people who have been depressed themselves or who have been proximate to someone who was depressed. In your book, you talk about isolation, but you also talk about a lot of the stresses of modern life and how that those stresses are kind of, you know, we're kind of creating this no-win situation for ourselves within the modern society. Can you share a little bit more about your thoughts on that subject? I think that the tendency in our society is for people to spend more and more time alone, and I think that isolation is very dangerous. I think people spend an enormous amount of time now interacting with screens, um, a television screen which is completely passive, a computer screen which is frequently passive, rather than interacting with people, um, and I think the interaction with people is really an extremely important part of recovery. Um, of wellness, sort of staying well. Um, there's a sense that people are in overcrowded cities, that the people whom they see are frequently people they're not close to. Intimacy and closeness and the experience of other human beings will not necessarily prevent you from having a depression, but the absence of those things will certainly increase your likelihood of descending into you also talk about some of the stresses that we're under in terms of modern society and how that contributes to some of the key factors like sleep and um, of that nature. What was particularly, you know, what do you think some of those specific causes are or factors within society that are really kind of creating this um, kind of uh, perfect melting pot for creating these kinds of, um, this increased level of anxiety probably? I think that people do get too little sleep. The amount of sleep per night that people get went down by about two hours when electric light was invented, and then by another hour and a half to two hours with the advent of television. So um, people are chronically uh, underslept. People are stressed. People are attempting to multitask all the time. Um, they're always trying to do two or three things at once. We weren't really designed for that, and it's stressful, and it's exhausting. Um, I think that while there's a great deal to be said for the basic reform of having women in the workplace, that families attempting when two parents are working also to take care of children is a lot for them to be doing. Um, I just think all in all people have more responsibilities on their shoulders than they used to and that they take more time and energy um, to fulfill and that people are worn out. I think we live in a society of people who are overwhelmed and worn out. And we're praised oftentimes for being worn out, aren't we? <laughs> yes, exactly. If you're not worn out, you're not doing it right. Uh -huh, exactly. Um, speaking of worn out, it's been six years since the publication of Noonday Demon. Has your understanding of depression, um, particularly your own depression, changed in that six years since you've written the book? What for you might have changed since then? There are a number of things. In the first place, the period since I wrote the book, I've had two minor lapses into depression, but essentially it's been a relatively stable period. And I think it's unstable in part because I had come to understand the depression so well through the process of writing the book. And 
that knowledge has stood me in good stead. Um, it gets wearing some of the time to be a poster boy for a mental illness. Um, I find just when I'm beginning to feel positive and cheerful in my life, somebody else wants to talk about depression again, mm. and so I'm, I'm pulled back to it over and over again. And sometimes I get overwhelmed by that, and sometimes it becomes difficult. Um, but as the book has come out, and it's come out in many different countries and in many different societies, I've had the sense that my depression and my attempts to look at my depression have had meaning for other people and I've been able therefore to accept my own depression more. I guess that's it. I guess before the book came out I was still fighting against my depression all the time and while I still don't like it and would love never to have another depressive episode I think I'm a little easier on myself about the fact that I have depression than I used to be. It's very tiring on treading water all the time <laughs> and that fight, doesn't it? Um, there's a lot of information in this book. It's, it's very comprehensive, and there's so many different things that we could we could explore today. Um, but given the size and scope of the book, are there? Could you name possibly the three things that you would really, three messages that you'd really like readers to take away from after reading the book? I would like readers first of all to understand that depression is a real illness, that it should be treated in the way that other real illnesses are treated, that it should be financed, the treatment of it, in the way that the treatment for other illnesses is financed, and that it isn't some picturesque romantic thing. Um, that would be the first message. The second message would be that while we have more and more depression in the world, we also have more and more means to treat depression in the world, and that difficult though it may be when you're feeling at your lowest, if you can pull yourself together and seek help and insist on getting a good quality of help and continue to question the help you're getting until you begin to feel better, you're willing to put yourself through that process. Most people can make a substantial recovery from the illness. Um, and finally, I think that while you want to recover from the illness as quickly and as completely as possible, it also has lessons to teach and things that are of value in it and it's important to look into the depression and find those lessons and those things of value in order to redeem the experience of being depressed. Well that certainly is some three very key messages that we hope everyone gets an opportunity to be able to experience and I can certainly recommend having everyone read The Noonday Demon, an atlas of depression. Um, but what's next for Andrew Solomon. I am at work right now on a book which is about how families deal with what I've called traumatic children. Families of kids who are deaf, who are autistic, um, who have Down syndrome, who have terminal illness, um, also families of kids who uh, commit crimes, kids who are conceived in rape, families of prodigies who are also completely overwhelmed. How is it that families manage to pull together around these various issues? and? The theme, again, really, is of resilience. What I want to look at is why mm -hmm. some families, when they're faced with a child with these special needs or in this special situation, go completely to pieces, while other families confronted with the same things um, unite and find great strength. Well, it will 
certainly be interesting to see what parallels you might discover in the context of exploring that resilience. Sounds like it'll be fascinating. We're looking forward to that as well. I want to thank you so much for your time today and for your ongoing work and for your willingness to be open and share. As you said, it's not ever easy digging back into the, 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 the vault of um, your experiences. So we appreciate you doing that and sharing with us today and wish you all the best um, for in the future. Thanks so much. And for our listeners, thanks for listening. This has been a BBSA Real Recovery Podcast. This has been a production of the Depression and Bipolar Support Alliance. For more information, go to www.dbsalliance.org or call 1-800-826-3632. We've been there. We can help.